It, this is funny because I'm actually quite lumped into uh, this with my wife. Well, in actuality, it's my wife who actually does most of the work at ICC. So I'd like to introduce to my lovely wife, Karen Chu. <laughs> now, now, Karen, what, what do you do at ICC or International China Concern? Well, I'm the administrator there, so that means a lot. <laughs> yeah, I work part-time, and... Uh, I managed to shove full-time work into those part-time days. So, But the one thing I can totally tell you is that I used to have a job when I worked for the stock market and when I worked for an accountant. And now I just like do things I love. So that's the biggest difference. Right. I happen to be a good organizer and administrator, but it helps kids in China, and that's made all the difference to my attitude. So I love going to work, but I don't consider it to be work. <clears throat> Thank you for that introduction, lovely husband. <laughs> okay, we've only got 15 minutes, so I'm going to have to really pay attention to the clock. Someone wants to actually set a clock to 15 minutes and it goes off in 15, that would be good because I'm actually bad at watching clocks. Um, introduction. <clears throat> International China Concern. I'm going to call it ICC. How it got started. Um, there's a guy named David Gotts, and he's from Britain, and when he was 16, he became a Christian. At the age of 19, he felt like maybe God was calling him to China, but he didn't really know why or anything like that. So he went with YWAM to Hong Kong and did a DTS there, and then decided to move to Taiwan to learn Mandarin, because he was called to China, he should probably figure out how to speak the language. While he was in Taiwan, he visited a YWAM friend who was working at an orphanage, which they call welfare centers in China. And uh, the day he went to visit her, a little baby girl was abandoned that morning. And she was very new, and she was very sick. And no one seemed to really care. So he and his friend went to the welfare center director and said, hey, look, can we help her? And he said, yeah, sure. So they took her to the local hospital and said they'd pay for her care. And they stayed with her until late at night. And when they came back in the morning, she had passed away. So that whole experience was what started ICC. Uh, David was deeply impacted by that experience. The injustice, why is a child being abandoned? Why doesn't anyone care? What God are you going to do about it? And he just felt like God said, well, David, you're there. What are you going to do? And he was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so... I just love that he was 19. Um, as an encouragement to all of you with teenagers, I think it's amazing that God doesn't look at age and he's not restricted by that, that he can speak to hearts regardless of age. Uh, that was really, really cool. Um, so that's his story. Uh, David is now my boss. He just lives up the street off of Hastings up here. Um, he's married to a lovely lady named Linda. They have two boys, and ironically, one of them has a disability. So something that he started in 1993 as a young man, he's now 44, and uh, is now living that out himself and seeing the differences of what having a, dis a child with disability here in Canada means versus having a child with disability in China. So it's actually kind of cool in its own sad way. Um, you've all got a brochure like this in your bulletin. If you want to grab it, I'm just going to give you some quick facts about the things that David found out as he was starting ICC way back in 1993. <clears throat> um, basically, going to a welfare center as a child uh, was being given a death sentence because the mortality rates of a child um, making it or well, sorry, the death rate, the mortality rate, was 80 to 85%. Super high. Only the strong made it. And if you were a kid with a disability, your chances were super, super low. There was one carer to 30 children. Um, kids were stacked in cribs in groups of four. And they weren't lengthwise, they were widthwise. So there was no space at all. Um, they actually have, you may have heard of a video called The Dying Rooms. Um, but it's when the welfare centers get packed, then they take the weakest ones and they just put them in a room and close the door. And that's what David was dealing with when he first started. Um, 
And it still happens today, which is what we're trying to work to, uh, to stop. So right now, we work in three different cities in China, in two different provinces. We work in partnership with the Chinese government and have for the last 22 years, which is amazing because we are a clearly Christian organization. Um, but they really see a need for this area. It's not something that people go to school to learn how to do. Um, if you become a social worker, it's typically to work with um, maybe disabled elderly people because there's more of a value given to elderly over children in China. So a child with a disability is the lowest of the lowest of the low, and there's no money given to that. Even though China is a wealthy nation, um, money does not trickle down to disabled children in China. So that's what they're, that's what we're there to do. Um, there's six ways that we help, which you can read in there, and we're 24-7 care. This isn't just coming alongside a child for an element of their life, it's their whole life. So if they're in ICC's care, that means they've got a home, they've got it for life. And whether they're a child, or when we came to the project, they were 20 already, and now they're 42, <laughs> we're with them until they don't need our services anymore. We love them until, well, all their life. So that's one of the big differences. Um, I'm just going to show you a video. This is something that uh, we put together for our 20th anniversary a couple years ago. So if you guys want to get that ready, I'm just going to talk a little bit while it's going on to help explain some things you might see. <clears throat> oh, and I'm in the video. See if you can see me. My hair is brown. <laughs> This is how things were at the beginning. Knowing that for every step you were kids were tied to potty chairs and left there all day. This was the building that was given to us, and that's what we turned it into. Before and after shots. Seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say. Child who came to us super sick, and that's them today. Did you 
really loud. <laughs> you didn't see me? No. Prizes for those who saw me, you can tell me later. I'm glad I've seen that three times already, because normally when I see it, I just cry the whole time. <laughs> uh, um, the kids in our care have a variety, well, they come in a variety of ages. Um, we have newborns, and we just had a lady who turned 65 yesterday. Thank you. I have five minutes. Um, and like I said, we care for life. And I remember challenging a group of uh, people who came to an ICC event one day. I was like, aren't you glad that you don't have to be cute in order for God to love you? You don't have to be young in order for God to love you. Because one of the ways you can get involved is to sponsor a child. But they might not be a child. They might actually be 34. <laughs> um, and I brought some kids with me today, six of them, who have less than five sponsors. And every kid or young adult needs 12 sponsors to be considered fully sponsored um, in order to pay for all of their needs. But I have found over the last 11 years that I've worked there that the cute ones get picked up and the ones that maybe aren't so cute and who are a little bit older don't. So my challenge was, can you imagine if God gave up on us if we stopped being cute and stopped being young? I think that would be a problem for us. <laughs> so thank God. Anyway, um, ICC's vision is simple but impossible. It's to provide love, hope, and opportunity for every abandoned and disabled child. There are 100,000 children who are abandoned in China every year. It's a lot of abandonments. We care for 345 of those. <laughs> so we really feel like we're, this, we're doing this little thing in this big problem. But I was thinking about the math the other day, and I thought, okay, if one child gets abandoned, the parents are impacted by that, and both sets of grandparents are impacted by that. So for every abandonment, there's six people who are definitely impacted. If there's 100,000 that are abandoned every year, then there's 600,000 people that are impacted by that abandonment. And in a nation with, I can't remember what it is now, 1.3 billion people in China, every year, I'm thinking everyone in that nation has been impacted by an abandonment sooner or later, right? So it's, to me, what I love about ICC is the fact that it is impossible. It wasn't something that David just came up with, oh, I'm going to do this thing. It's like something that God put in his heart to do. And so we're constantly, and actually we do daily, come to him and say, Lord, this is yours. This is not ours. We're going to do our very best to do what you've equipped us to do. But we always put it back on his plate because it's too big for us. And the overwhelmingness of our job is daily. But I just love that because that's God. It's this upside-down kingdom. He came as a baby to save us. I was reading this morning. He was telling us, don't hate your enemies. Love them. That's the way to overcome this. Like, He's going to take the least of the least of the least of these children in China, and I think he's going to actually change China through them. Don't know how, but I get to go along for the ride, and that part's really exciting. So how can we be involved next Saturday we're having a walk called Walk the Wall. We're actually walking around the Stanley Park Seawall. For those of you who don't want to walk 10K, you can walk three with me, with my family around Beaver Lake. Um, the idea is to sign up. I have a team called Vancouver Eastside Vineyard. You can come and walk with us if you'd like to do that. And we're going to walk our 3K. And then the idea is to uh, send emails out to your family and friends. Most of you here may have received an email from me this last week. And then a second one last night, as I realized I forgot to tell you when the date was. <laughs> if you can't actually come on the walk, then I'd love for you to donate to our walk and to sponsor us. Uh, my personal goal, I think I changed it last night, was $2,000. I think I'm at 500 right now. So would love for you guys to participate in that. That's one way to be involved. I talked about sponsorship. I've got six kids here that need sponsorship. You can actually go to China and see this for yourself. We send in short-term teams four to six times a year. They're international teams. English is the language that is spoken. It's accessible. You can go and hang out with kids. 
Um, you can volunteer locally, either at our event next year, or you can hang out with me in the office for a day. That's fun. Um, and if you just want more information, I forgot to put a sign-up sheet. I'll take some piece of paper here, and you can just give me your name. I probably already have your details, unless you don't come to the church, and I can make sure that you get information sent to you on a regular basis so that you don't forget us. And that is all. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Karen. Beautiful. Wow. Wow. Why don't, why don't you guys, where's Steve? Oh, you're, did you guys have a fight? Is that why you're in the septum? Theater? Um, why don't, I'd like to pray for you. Why don't you stand, both of you, and let's pray over them, eh, for this, this venture? And so maybe some of you could just lay hands on them. And uh, we just want to bless you. Bless your, your efforts. Bless your faith. Bless your, that you're stretching yourself. Uh, and we are serving a God who stretched himself out for us. As we sang this morning, treasures in the scars. And Lord... All I can think of, and Karen gives the odds, is that little boy with his loaves and fish. And how you did the impossible with what we made available. And so we just ask, Lord, for much grace, for, for generous responses, that the reality that we're all six removed from every person on earth, that that would that geometric just passing of information would happen, Lord, and that there would be just a groundswell of support that would come. And that you would show each of us, Lord, what we are to do. What is our response to this amazing opportunity to, I believe, as Karen shared, change the history of the world, really. This is softening the hearts of China. Lord God, would you come? Would you come? And we ask you for that, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for sharing. Awesome. So I was saying to Stephen and Karen, because I've watched some of the videos ahead of time and seen them before, and as I was preparing for this message, uh, I just really felt the timing was unbelievable. And so in many ways, you've already been hearing the sermon for today. It's very much a part of that, uh, which means by the grace of God and a miracle, I'll actually be shorter today. So, um, and Gordy does not believe me. Great is your unbelief. <laughs> so what I want to do, if I can get that video up, is uh, we're going to launch a new series today called The Good and Beautiful Community. And this is a... Um, the third in a three-book series that we've been covering this year called The Good and Beautiful Year. And we started uh, in the, when Kathleen and I went on sabbatical. You started as a church, and we joined you up by podcast uh, later. It was fantastic. What a rich feast you guys got. Uh, the Good and, and Beautiful God. And then uh, about late June... We went into the second book called The Good and Beautiful Life. And the third 
book now we are going into is The Good and Beautiful Community. And the author says, he, he, he describes the first two books as kind of the first part of the great commandment. They're a summary of the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, this last book, he says, is focusing on the, the second part of the great commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. But, to, but he cautions us, and I think he's right, do not allow those two parts of the great commandment to get separated. They're very interdependent. Loving God and loving neighbor are, are very, very vitally uh, connected. Kathy and I were reading from Rob DeCoats again this week. We like to read from his little devotional uh, before we go to sleep at night. He was writing how that the, the greatest way that we can love God, we went to sleep on this one night, the greatest way that you can love God is to draw closer to your neighbor. And the greatest way that you can love your neighbor is to draw closer to God. So there's this interconnection. And if we try to, to love our neighbor as ourself, without that connection with God, it quickly goes haywire. And uh, either we patronize, or we burn out, or we help people in ways they don't want to be helped or need to be helped. We lose, we lose sight of our soul. We, we have to stay in touch with our soul while we're helping others. And so that's why the two commands are are very vitally linked. And I think that our text today from 1 Peter shows the interconnectedness of this great command to love God and love our neighbors. So let's, let's go to the text. 1 Peter, Peter's writing uh, people that are scattered as Christians throughout the Roman Empire, probably many of them not evangelized by him. He was probably not the apostle that reached them for Christ. It was probably Paul and other associates of Paul, but but. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. There's different gifts in the church. So Peter writes these words. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation." Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. We could say, uh, before I read on, that Peter's summarizing the first two books. The Good and Beautiful God and The Good and Beautiful Life. The Good and Beautiful God, the Lord is good. The Good and Beautiful Life, we're growing into Christ-likeness. Now he moves into the Good and Beautiful community. As you come to him, and by the way, the tense there is interesting, the word is not came, but come. It's, it's an ongoing, ever-present, continuous coming. You and I, what's brought us together as a community is we're all on this same journey of coming towards Christ, of following Him. That's what we have in common. We may be on all kinds of different parts of that grid, but we have all... We're moving in the same direction, even though there may be different distances. <laughs> That we are. Anybody found that out in church life? Right? You're coming to him. The living stone. And I like that. Capital, capital S. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be ashamed or embarrassed or disappointed or disillusioned. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that causes offense. In ancient architecture, the builders used to take a, a, a big stone and they would carve it and cut it and shape it. 
and they would put it down as the first foundation stone for a building and every other stone was built in relation to that stone. It literally set the tone for the rest of the building and Peter is saying Jesus is the stone. There is no church without Jesus first being the first attender. He's the first member of every true church. And he's planted the stone but the builders of society, people said, we don't want that kind of leader. We don't want a suffering Messiah. We don't want somebody that says, forgive your enemies. Love those who hate you. We want a powerful, conquering king who will beat the Muslims. I mean the Romans. Right? And he was rejected. But God took him and made him the cornerstone of a new building. There were a lot of other rejects could also be in the building. The stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. But ironically, those that rejected the stone, it was thrown on the road, and as they ran away, they stumbled over that stone. Just a little exegetical help for you there as we work through this. But you, Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. So last week I talked about how that you and I are... In this incredible moment, eternity passed behind us, the future in front of us, and an incredible place where infinity of space, I mean, we live on this tiny little planet surrounding a small star on the edge of an average-sized galaxy amidst billions of galaxies, and yet here you and I are, God has given you a gift, and it's called your life, and only you can live it. But last week we talked about how that was impossible, Jesus said, without him. Without me, he said, you can't do this. So we worked through how to be more connected to Jesus. But I want to add another dependency that you and I have, and we don't like this one as human beings. We tend to fight against this. But the moment that our life is given to us in this world, we are dependent. We're dependent on our mom to bring us into the world. We're given to a family. And as we grow up, we realize we're surrounded. Whatever that family is, whatever brokenness it may have, we are in this immediate family or an extended family. And then as we get older, there's friends and classmates and workmates. And then somewhere along the way, if we become children of God, we bump into this thing called church. And it's a bit of a mixed review for us. I don't know about you. That's why I asked that question a little bit earlier. But the Bible tells us that there's this dependency that we have with the church, and it's likened to a body where members of this body are dependent on each other. But for me growing up, church, let's just say Sunday morning was, and I'm a preacher's kid, so I grew up in a pastor's home. Let's just say Sunday morning was not my favorite time of the week. First of all, I felt my, like my weekend had been rudely interrupted. Anybody ever feel that way? <laughs> and, uh, and I had to wear these strange clothes, Wade. Wade and I were suffering together, remembering that. Stiff, starchy shirts and ties that would choke you. And my clothes were always scratchy. It just felt so unnatural. And I couldn't wait. I'd, I'd, I'd go home, tear those clothes off, and put on my T-shirt and go, Woo! I get to play. And usually it was roast beef dinner, and the food was good, and the company was good. And then I'd play and play and play, and then mom and dad would say, Time for church! And we'd turn around and go back again. 
every week. But it, it wasn't just that. It was the, the, the people. One of the greatest barriers as I moved into, and, and there were exceptions to all this. I don't want to say it was all bad, but there, there were sometimes some crazy preachers that would come through and great stories I would hear. And My mom was a great storyteller, and one of my favorite parts of church is when I, there was no Sunday school because I got to sit by her, and she would scratch my head. And I'd get this warm, just comfort, just flowing through my body. Just, it was, it was the most amazing memory of church. <laughs> so I don't know what your story is, but that's mine, and I'm sticking to it. But there was people. One of the things that kept me as a teenager from surrendering my life to Christ was the people of the church. They were so weird. They were a real mixed bag. Now, there were some wonderful people, but there was enough strange ones to put me off. And there was this one really old lady who always frowned. Just her face was in this perpetual scowl. And she used to do a special on Sunday with her auto harp. She'd come up, and she was already frowning, and she'd play one strum to test it, and she'd frown more. And I'm looking at her, and I'm going, you're not enjoying this. How am I supposed to? As a kid, I just thought, oh. <laughs> then there was these farming families that would come in who would endear themselves to my parents and they would stay over for Sunday lunch and we'd play with their kids all afternoon then go back to church at night. And then all of a sudden, one of them would get miffed about something and they'd leave a note for my dad and I'd see my dad brokenhearted at the kitchen table because they'd left the church because of something that happened they were upset about and to this day I can never figure out what it was and you know often they'd come around back but it reminded me of church reminds me of the porcupine remember I used to talk about the porcupines human beings are like porcupines who huddle together on a cold night and they poke each other and it's so pokey they finally go out and say listen I'm going to freeze in the dark rather than be with those guys but even though there was a lot of crap and hey, I'm back, east side. <laughs> I'll never forget a young guy that was three years older than me who I met at a mission I did. I went to work for my uncle for a week at Easter time, and this was common for Pentecostal teenagers. And I went to work at this mission, and for a week we, we knocked on doors in Calgary and invited people to Sunday school for my uncle's church. Then I went back to High Prairie, Alberta, and this guy that I worked with on this mission, he was from Ladysmith, B.C. Anybody ever heard of Ladysmith, B.C.? His name was Alan Faw. He's not Chinese. His name was spelled F-A-A, but he's just a total white guy. And for some reason, he kept writing me after we met. And he'd say, hey, Gordy, and he'd tell me about his life. And he'd usually give me a scripture, and he'd, he'd encourage me. And say, hey, I'm praying for you, bud. And he did this for about, just did it for years. And the thing that struck me was, hey, he can't get me in his youth group. I'm too far away. Why? And, 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 my, and by the way, my parents were amazing. It was just, my parents were weird because of the way they loved the weird people. I couldn't figure that out. <laughs> and... Um, but after I surrendered my life to Christ at, at the age of 17, I remembered this guy, and he really impacted me, but I, I made a deal with God. I said, Lord, I'm yours now. Make all the weird people go away. <laughs> and it didn't work. They were still there. But you know what? <clears throat> I actually started to love these people. After I gave my life to Christ, I started to realize they were still weird, still different, but I began to enjoy them. I'd take my dad's Suburban when I got my driver's license. It was his excuse to drive. And I'd go out on these old country roads, and it was actually my excuse to date Kathleen when, when I was a bit older. But I, we'd, we'd go on these country roads and visit all these farmers, and, and, I, and I would listen to their stories, and I would just... And this, even this lady <laughs> I was telling you about, I found a sweetness there. I enjoyed her. And I guess one, one of the highlights of my sabbatical was I read this book, Vanishing Grace. Philip Yancey is one of my favorite authors. And he's quite 
he's quite a critic of the evangelical church, but he does it not as an outsider, he does it as an insider. How many know there's a big difference if somebody's an insider and an outsider? And he, he wrote another book called Soul Survivor, and the subtitle is How My Faith Survived the Church. <laughs> How many of your faith has survived the church? <laughs> and it says so much just in the title. And I thought, oh no, vanishing grace, he's going to give us another spanking. We're going into the woodshed, right? And, uh, but I found this excerpt, one of my favorite moments, here it is, of my whole sabbatical, and you guys are here to hear about it, was this quote I came across by Eugene Peterson, and Yancey quotes him in this book, and he says this, when Christian believers gather together in churches, everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. Outsiders, on observing this, conclude there is nothing in this religious business except perhaps business, and a distant one at that. Insiders see it differently. Just as a hospital gathers the sick under one roof and labels as such, the church collects sinners. Many people outside the church are just as sick. But their illnesses are either undiagnosed or disguised. It is similar with sinners outside the church. And I thought, oh, that explains it. This kind of mixed bag that we have with church. And uh, he wrote that in his commentary on the message. And so, as Christians, we're confronted with varying narratives about the community, the good and beautiful community. One, one narrative, it's false, but there's a degree of truth to it, and that is that Christians are no different than anyone else, and maybe even worse. If you look at the... the there's sexual and financial scandals of Christian leaders. But how many know when it happens with a Christian leader, it gets more attention than if it happens, say, with a lawyer? Why? Because the expectations are there. And Smith writes that in U.S. surveys, the statistics of divorce and are, are not much difference with premarital sex among teenagers. Maybe a 5% difference, not much difference. And so it leads us to this assumption that there's not much difference between Christians and non-Christians. But there's another assumption. The Christians are better than anyone else. This is also smells. Well, it just stinks, right? It's resulted in colonization. It's resulted in self-righteousness and hypocrisy. It's not about that. Our struggle is for an alternative narrative. And Peter comes up with an alternative narrative about the church in our text and James Smith calls it, a, we are, not better or worse, we're peculiar. Now, I got a little bit mad at first when I read that, because I thought, gosh, this guy comes out of the King James world. How many grew up with the King James world? You know, it was where, when I was growing up, that was another problem I had with church. Wasn't it right? Everybody spoke King James. God spoke in King James. Everybody had a lisp, right? Like Wimber said. Thee and thou and thus and the Lord saith and right ever well it's because we grew up with this Bible that was translated in English in the 1600s authorized by King Jimmy King James of England and we all grew up with it and and boy I tell you it was really treading on toes for a while to use a different translation it's like one lady said if the King James was good enough for Paul it's good enough for me right <laughs> well. Part of the problem is that the King James translation of this passage uses the word peculiar, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That word special possession there in the Greek is an amazing word. It literally means God's uh, possession that he acquired. But, uh, you know, uh, Kim's not here today, but let's imagine Kim... Because I, I hear her talk about overtime that she has at work. Let's imagine she wants to go on a holiday to Cuba. I hear you can go for 650 bucks all-inclusive right now. That's fit, plane and uh, hotel and everything. It's pretty good. 650 bucks a person. So if you're not here next week, I'll know where you are. Anyway, let's say that Kim can't afford it, so she puts in overtime. 
and she puts in overtime and she puts in overtime and she saves up out of that overtime and she puts it aside. That's literally what that word means there. You are God's overtime pay. He went into overtime. It's called the scars of Jesus. He went out of his way. You're a treasure to him. You're precious to him. It's a great word, isn't it? Treasured possession. So I thought, well, why in the world did the King James dudes use the word peculiar? So I decided to look up the word peculiar in the, King, in the, in the Old English language, and I come up, came up with some fascinating things. One of the things that uh, peculiar meant back in those days was, was odd or unusual, and we still have that today, of course. Uncommon, but it was distinctive in nature and character. It's like Canadians who say, hey, I got this letter from the Columbus Vineyard uh, Church. Some of you guys got it probably, where they're just, they've just moved into Vancouver and they're planting. And the guy writes about what it means to be Canadian. He says, uh, it's okay to not like the Canadian Football League. Even Canadians will admit that. The NFL is better. However, it's not okay to know nothing about hockey. So I better acquire working knowledge of the game, especially of the Vancouver Canucks. Our Canadian friends tend to be polite even when they are upset. For example, if someone starts a sentence by saying, oh, didn't you realize? What they are kindly trying to convey is, are you ignorant and stupid? <laughs> so you have to pay close attention to people to catch on to whether you are doing something that is socially ill-advised. And he talks about well-placed A's. Well, that's peculiar to Canadians. But there's another meaning to peculiar. And it has to do, and interestingly, we were in an Anglican church, but it was when an Anglican church was exempted from the jurisdiction of their normal bishop. And of course, we know that's happened here in this diocese with some issues in the diocese, where the, the, the parish will say, we're not under this bishop, we want alternate oversight. So they actually are accountable to another bishop. There's... There's Anglican churches in the, in the Lower Mainland that have actually gotten bishop, uh, bishop oversight from, from Africans, from a guy from Rwanda, right? So that word means peculiar. And so the meaning of it for us is that we are living in a world where we have alternate oversight. There, is, there, there are controlling powers that say, this is the way you do things. This is what's important to you. But we're under alternate oversights. We belong to God. We've been purchased by this. And the Greek and the Roman gods of the early, early first century church were like humans. They fornicated, they fought, they retaliated, they quarreled. But the God of the Bible, he was peculiar. No one could make this up. He was a God who loved his enemies, cared for the poor. When he came to us, he put children in the center. He respected women as equals. He loved the prodigals. He paid the ones that were hired last. He paid them first, and he paid them the same as everybody else. We can't make that up. And so through history, this peculiar God has been followed by people who become peculiar, peculiar as well because they follow him. In the early church, just like we heard in this story today, it was common to abandon babies at garbage dumps, and Christians would walk around and pick up these abandoned babies and adopt them. Easy discipleship. They rescued them and brought them home. St. Francis of Assisi, he was a warrior, a fighter, and a wealthy man. And one day he stood at his father's house, took all of his clothes off, walked out of the house naked, renounced wealth and renounced violence. And he said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he put on a beggar's robe and walked around kissing lepers. And then in an age when the... Uh, Christian crusades were attacking the Muslims and the, the Ottoman Empire was attacking the Europe and everybody was in this us and them mentality. He made this daring trek across the Mediterranean and visited the Sultan of Egypt, a Muslim leader, and they became best friends. Best friends. He renounced violence. Peculiar. Martyrs would go peacefully to their deaths. Not just peacefully, but they would sing praises to God and pray for their tormentors. Like, I'll never forget reading as a child about Sergei Kurdakov, this guy behind the ancient, the old Iron Curtain who used to go around for the KGB persecuting Christians. And he would beat them. He would 
drag women and children and throw them in jail. He hated Christians. And one day he broke into this home and he saw this woman and she was on her knees praying and he, he lifted his hand to hit her with a club. And all of a sudden he heard her saying, Lord, bless this man. And he stopped and he said, what did you say? She looked up and she said, I'm asking God to bless you. And he got so angry, he reached back and he went to hit her and he couldn't move his arm. His arm was paralyzed. He tried. Finally frustrated, he ran out of the room, went bewildered and confused down the street and soon gave his life to Christ. Couldn't fight that kind of love. The Society of Friends, Smith writes about how that during the time of slavery in the U.S., they got together and they decided that this was not godly. And so they all made a decision to let their slaves go. But that wasn't enough. They said, we owe all these guys, these men and women, back pay. And so they paid them back pay. Risked bankruptcy to do it. But God provided and blessed it. Peculiar. They founded hospitals Schools, orphanages, soup kitchens. Christians founded homeless shelters, rescue missions, homes for battered women. They welcomed the immigrant, the refugee, the foreigner, the stranger. Yes, we've screwed up through history. But they've led the way in care and support of people in need. Peculiar. And then we watch this story today. Why in the world would anybody value someone who as far as this world is concerned, is useless. There's no productivity. You remember the video of the Dropbox that we showed a while ago? Same thing in the middle of Seoul, this pastor. Just put a little box in his parish, or in his house, where women who were going to abandon their disabled children, or they were unexpected, unwanted pregnancies, he would take the children into his care. Why? Peculiar. Peculiar. But it's God's overtime. We see the value. These are God's treasures in the scars. John explained it this way. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then perhaps my favorite verse in the Bible hit me in the middle of my breakdown back in 1988, laying a vegetable in the Okanagan, feeling like my life was over and that I wouldn't live the year out. I heard the Lord say, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. This is the only explanation in spite of our, the way we screw up and wreck it and mess it up again and again. God somehow has staked his reputation on us fallen, broken people, living stones that he's bringing together and building into his house. Some of you recognize this picture. Do you know where it is? It's in the heart of Myeongdong district in Seoul, Korea. This is the story of Sue. Many of you have heard the story. She hated Christians because Christians had been so aggressive to her. And when she found out that Kathleen and I were pastors, she begged the agency to send her to another home. They told her to look at our picture at the profile. And she said, told us later that when she did, she felt this warmth come over her. She said, okay, well, I'll give it a try. She said she felt that same feeling when she walked into our home. And then she invited herself to church. I teased her later that she was quite pushy. <laughs> and she walked into our church and you guys loved her. You embraced her. And she, she had an incredible encounter with God and is continuing to walk with him today. And right around the same time, her mom there, you see at the back, gave her life to Christ back in Seoul and began to attend church. And we finally, in the first week in Seoul, got to meet her parents and her mom cried a lot of the time that we were together. And she said to Sue as a translator, she asked us, why did you love our daughter so much? Well, I gave some kind of lame thing like, and it was true. She was lovely and fun-loving and brought us so much joy and delightful to have. 
But how could I explain to this woman that the moment Sue walked into our home, I felt a father. I felt a father's heart. Kathleen felt the father's heart, the mother's heart for this young girl. She became part of our home, as many of others of our homestays have. Live halfway around the world, but they're family now. Friends forever. Peculiar. Peculiar. That's the God we follow. So the church is a community of all who come to know their continual need of God's mercy and grace as revealed in Christ. And having received it, seek to extend it to the world around us. We're not better. We just need mercy and we know it. And having received that mercy, all we can do is give it away. How else can we live? Is there any other way to live? Let's pray. I can invite Steve if you could just come, just lead us in that song. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you remind us, Lord, again and again of the mercy? And when we get frustrated or mad or finding it hard to love, Brother Sandpaper, Sister Sandpaper, in our lives, would you remind us of how much sandpaper we were to you and how you loved us even when we were enemies? You died for us. Remind us of the scars. Remind us of the treasure that you have in us, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We're just so grateful that you've called us out of, your, out of darkness into your marvelous light that we might show the excellency of him. Peculiar God. Oh, come Lord. I'm not sure if you guys can get that back on the video, that uh, song, uh, Mighty to Save. Why don't we stand together and just celebrate his saving love and saving mercy. And if you need prayer here today, just you're welcome to come forward or just turn to someone and have them pray for you.